Global Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Global Capital Podcast. I'm Ralph Sinclair. I'm the editor of Global Capital. And I'm John Hay, the Corporate Finance and Sustainability Editor. January is typically a very busy month for the capital markets in terms of issuance, and the first few days of the year can offer clues about what's to come. This year is particularly interesting and is so far, at least seems to us, to be particularly busy. And it's busy because of where we are in the interest rate cycle, with rates likely to rise across the board this year as central banks combat inflation, which is the first time that will have happened in a very long time. Um, We'll be talking about that and how that will affect different parts of the capital markets as the as the majority of this podcast later. Uh, but first, there's also been uh, an interesting development in European sustainable finance this week, hasn't there, John? Yes, um, this is about the taxonomy, uh, which is the European Union's official guide to what is sustainable, which uh, is has been developed for the purposes of financial markets to help guide investors uh, and know what's green and what isn't. And the it, it's become incredibly political and controversial, uh, and the a sort of climax was reached uh, on New Year's Eve, when the European Commission published the latest set of rules, um, and these are, it's proposing to include uh, some uses of gas power and nuclear power in the taxonomy as sustainable transition activities, and it's incredibly controversial because uh, a lot of environmentalists feel that nuclear power is dangerous and that gas power is actually sort of making climate change worse so um, there's been a lot of reaction uh, from market participants. Um, It sounds like nobody's happy which makes it the perfect compromise perhaps Um, but also I mean what's, what's the effect of this going to be on capital markets i'm thinking of things like transition bonds and green bonds and uh financing for energy companies or is it too early to say i I think it is too early to say probably and the um the 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 effects could be quite sort of marginal um it's more the the thing that the, the really sort of important implications are more to do with the faith investors have in the taxonomy and whether it's really perceived as as having authority and being a, a kind of reliable guide to what's green and that there are two dimensions to this really one is um the the trust people have in it within the european union and and europe and you know i think that the the effect of this is clearly to diminish its authority it, its authority was not absolute already and but I think it, it is clear now that investors will have to make their own judgments as well as just following the taxonomy. It doesn't mean they won't pay attention to it, but they will have to um, keep their thinking caps on, and that's probably a good thing. the The second aspect is international, and this is that all around the world, different countries are developing their own taxonomies, um, and the European Union likes to see itself as a green leader. Um, it, it, it has some justification in that. But with this uh, retreat towards, uh, you know, riskier kinds of energy such as gas and nuclear, um, it's perhaps losing some of that uh, green leadership. And, you know, countries like even China and and Russia have have left those technologies out of their taxonomies. 
I thought it was also interesting how little time um, Europe has allowed for consultation on this and this iteration of the taxonomy. Um, did you think that was significant? Well, I mean, it just shows the the fact that this is highly political. It, it's it's a it's a stress. It's a stressful uh, moment for the for the EU. Um, there there are already significant problems it's dealing with. Uh, particularly with Poland, where there's a conflict over the rule of law. And the Commission is under enormous pressure from uh, all the countries in Central and Eastern Europe, pretty much, plus um, France and Finland, which like nuclear power, to to make concessions on the taxonomy and include those technologies. Um, and th the idea that this is a sort of pure science-based um kind of technocratic document has just had to to go by the wayside and they're trying to rush it through uh, as fast as possible for political reasons but if the taxonomy seems dramatic in the kind of regulatory context uh there are there are much bigger real world events going on aren't there and uh ralph uh, kazakhstan's been particularly in focus this week with unrest there ralph how's the bond market taking that well, this is interesting, and it's not unrelated to energy. Um, there were protests which uh, turned quite violent in Kazakhstan this week and uh, led to the intervention of Russian troops on a peacekeeping mission in the country, um, initially over rising fuel prices, um, but that then uh, took in a whole range of other sort of political grievances. And this has emerging market investors in particular looking across the board not just at what this means for kazakhstan's credit but also for russia's um their willingness to get involved in the situation uh prompted some to start thinking about increased sanctions or further sanctions against russia um you will remember that the us and the eu uh both put sanctions in place against russia over its incursion into ukraine uh, I think it was in 2013 or 14. I could be wrong, but um, recently. Um, and then in terms of cost of living and fuel costs and so on, they're also looking at where protests might next spring up. You know, we all remember the Arab Spring where um, protests started in Tunisia and then swept across the Arab world. And possibly... You know, there's a thought that the same might happen here um, as fuel prices rise or, for example, Turkey is something that's of particular concern to investors. Inflation is running near 40 percent there. And uh, President Erdogan uh, shows no sign of switching to a more conventional monetary policy to try and combat it. So certainly investors um, worried about which of their investments might be hit next if uh if this sort of discontent spreads throughout the emerging markets. Do you think it, there's a possibility of another sort of emerging market debt crisis? Yeah, it's hard to tell. We, um, George Collard and Francesca Young, our um, emerging markets team, spoke to a number of analysts this week. And one of the people they spoke to said they weren't so worried because where protests had sprung up like this before, um, the debt was largely uh, denominated in local currency and thus the sort of 
contagion the crisis could be contained and certainly um although the bonds the kazakhstan bonds widened 40 basis points at the start of the week by the time the russian troops showed up um that that seemed to stop the widening and um russian bonds didn't really sort of sell off too much in the process it seems like 25 cents to 75 cents uh and in fact what selling there was people that george and cheska spoke to said it was much more to do with the um future path of dollar interest rates with the release of the federal reserve minutes this week than uh, than the local disturbances yeah there's an irony that emerging market investors are are obviously always worried about social unrest and 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 you know authoritarian regimes can lead to that but on the mm. other hand they 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 like stability and when the regime clamps down that's that's often sort of quite satisfactory for for the bond market yeah you can or you cannot fight the russian security forces but you certainly can't fight the fed <laughs> um so I mean interest rates of course are the are the big story this year aren't they for for yeah. capital markets and or, or 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 one of the one of the very big stories and it's interesting how a, a fresh year always brings people to think in a in a new way about the market yeah. um and and you know even if they've got sort of received ideas from from the year before so what what are we learning about um how the market sees its shape this year well, it's interesting. And the other major bond markets that we cover, uh, that for banks, for corporations and for sovereigns, supranationals and agencies, I got the sense this week that while conditions seem great for issuers and the market seemed pretty busy, um, there are a number of worrying factors on the high horizon, uh, mostly around uh, the fact that rates are likely to increase across the board this year. And and in the sovereign supranational and agency market, for example, we can expect the end of the EU's pandemic emergency purchase program, which uh, kept yields in that market suppressed for so long. We know already that the Federal Reserve is planning interest rate hikes or expecting interest rate hikes and also thinking of accelerating its uh, the tapering of its quantitative easing program, um, all of which suggests rates will go up later in the year and uh, there could be volatility and that will make borrowing conditions much harder, which we're getting the impression that uh, a lot of borrowers are taking that as a cue to not only bring a lot of debt this month, um, but also get their uh, trickier stuff out of the way. I think we saw that in the bank financing market in particular. Well, we've got uh, Richard Metcalf with us this week, uh, who is covering corporate bonds and has been looking at the implications in that market. Hello, Richard. How were things in the corporate bond market this week? Busy? Well, it was a bit of an awkward uh, first week of the year, given the fact that Monday was a bank holiday here in the UK. And then Thursday, uh, there were several holidays in in europe for epiphany today friday as we're recording this um people are waiting to see what non-farm non-farm payrolls uh, statistics are going to look like out of the us which only left two days for uh activity in the primary corporate bond market considering that i suppose there there was quite a bit of activity there were a couple of um captive um car manufacturer finance 
companies which are often the you know among the first issuers to reopen a new session after a holiday and so that was kind of no surprise um but there were also some uh, other sectors out there as well. There was a U.S. real estate company, Digital Realty, and there was a French uh, sort of utility company, RTE, uh, doing interesting deals. So there, there was there was a, a fair bit of variety. And um, you know, one banker kind of told me that <clears throat> there was kind of less of a sense of uh, tentativeness about the you know opening of the of the market for the new year often when there's been a holiday people perhaps don't have quite as much faith in the levels that they're seeing in the secondary market as they would you know once the session has has really got going and there might be a little bit more price discovery um which means that you tend to get more frequent issuers coming out like those um auto finance companies that i mentioned uh but this year they were telling me it sounded like if anything there could have been there could the the market could have easily have coped with 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 more um uh, more issuers from uh uh you know uh, less frequent um issuers as well that's interesting um i i made the point in the introduction to the podcast that uh we saw something um a bit like that in the bank finance market where rather than starting with straightforward deals uh some banks launched straight away into doing the more complicated more risky trades that they do um two two french banks bought additional tier one deals in dollars um that's the most risky type of capital a bank can issue um just straight out the gate uh, as soon as they could and it was notable that then there was a third deal in the week um executed at worst terms which suggests they were right to get this done early because while conditions look good they might not be that good for very long um what are people saying to you about the corporate bond market uh next week and over the rest of january richard well one thing i'd like to pick up on there is a narrative that definitely um carries over into non-financial corporations is that people who did come this week uh companies that did come to issue bonds this week are said to have made a wise decision because next week is looking extremely busy and when you have a lot of competing supply uh, you know, you you have to work harder to get investors' attention, and um, you know it's it's harder to to you know um, stand out from the crowd, as it were. Um, what we haven't seen um, any hybrid um, bonds yet, or, or or subordinated bonds, so that that's a slight uh, difference, perhaps from the from the bank uh, bond market, um, and that that'll probably take a little bit. Um, longer to start coming out i suppose people will want to see how the senior bonds do first um but yeah next week is from what i hear looking like it's going to be very busy um although one thing that several bankers said was they weren't expecting to see any massive you know multiple tranche transactions next week it's still going to be more like a smattering of um uh, of smaller deals um but but yeah they were all agreed that um, you know, if you're able to get out ahead of the crowd uh, in this kind of a little bit awkward first week with a kind of two day window um, that if you were you know, quick and nimble enough to do that, that that would that was uh, that was a wise move. So, Richard, given 
expectations of interest rates rising uh, across the board what is that um, what effect is that having on borrowers both in terms of when they come to the market and the the duration of the trades that they're bringing to the market that is to say how long they're going to be able to borrow money for with each bond well with uh, in an environment where where rates are expected to rise and are rising um, I guess the the obvious thing to do would be to try to um, you know raise funds sooner rather than later uh, and <clears throat> and perhaps go you know with as long a tenor as you can because then you lock in the current historically low rates for you know for, for into the future when when interest rates may be higher of course it's not as simple as that um, because a company can't just borrow money f for no for no particular reason then it has to figure out what to do with the cash and there's uh you know the cost of carrying that um you know on its uh on its balance sheet um but are so, bankers saying that companies are front loading issuance because of this uh it it really depends from 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 what bankers say on um on on the sort of philosophy that um individual corporations have with regard to their liability management and their bond pricing um, a lot of companies in Europe, um, bankers tell me, look at the way they uh, price their bonds really on a spread basis. So they're not looking at the underlying rate so much as just the the spread on top of that. Um, and that makes the argument for front loading your issuance um, qu quite a bit weaker um, because as rates rise, you know, rising rates are going to be a big part of the overall um increase in coupons um the issuers that are more likely to look at front loading are um perhaps um us companies because they they tend to to look at it more on a on a fixed income basis they look at the whole coupon um and, and so it'll be interesting to see um a lot of U.S. Uh, companies at the moment are are in blackout before their before their earnings releases for the for the full year. So it'll be interesting to see uh, whether when when after they announce their results, whether they uh, come to the um, uh, not only their domestic bond market but also the European bond market and and uh, and load up on debt. There are also some other um, sectors in Europe where where companies are more likely to take that approach as well. Um, real estate was one that was mentioned. Um, Richard, you mentioned uh, US companies borrowing in the European market, um, what's known as reverse Yankee issuance. That was that was popular last year. Do the conditions still exist for that to happen in the same volume this year? Well, we've already seen one. I mentioned uh, Digital Realty. That's a US uh, real estate investment trust. So that's a promising uh, sign to begin with. Um, and yeah, I think bankers do expect there to be uh, more issuance uh, in uh, the European bond market from U.S. companies. Um, there are there are two main reasons why U.S. companies do that. So a lot of U.S. companies have sizable operations in Europe anyway, and revenues in Europe. So issuing bonds in euros is a is a natural hedge to that, and they'll uh, keep that debt in. Uh, euros and they'll probably want to uh, again because they look at it on a on a 
on a fixed rate basis, they'll probably want to come early and take advantage of those low overall interest rates uh, while they can. Um, there's another group of U.S. companies that uh, approach the euro bond market in a very different way. Um, they, they'll probably swap the proceeds into dollars, and so they'll look very closely at uh, you know potential arbitrage uh, that they can get from the um, um, from the cross country uh, currency basis swap uh, rate, which changes over time. So they'll so how much of that happens will will depend. Um, you know, largely on what happens there. I mean, I did ask one banker about the recent moves in the in the cross currency uh, swaps to try and get an idea, um, but because of the LIBOR transition, um, he wasn't actually sure which swap rate to look up anymore um, because of, because of all the changes to the to the reference rate. So unfortunately, um, uh, you know, even even. The, re- the real experts sometimes get a little bit um, uh, muddled up, especially when there's a big change like uh, the phasing out of LIBOR. It'll be interesting to see who brings the first of those deals. They will either have mastered the new cross-currency basis swap market ahead of everyone else, or they will have got it very, very wrong. And I suppose how many mandates they do in that week will uh, probably guide us as to which which one of those it is. So what one thing that uh, people that keeps cropping up is this idea of volatility. And that this year is going to be marked by bouts of volatility uh, in bond markets. Um, Is that something you think uh, issuers are conscious of, Richard? Um, I think if they're not conscious of it already, then their, um, you know, relationship bankers will be telling them that soon because uh, because that's what they're telling me. In a way, this... um, awkward two-day window this week could have been could have been a good uh, a good practice session because um, uh, bond bankers tell me um, you know that that there may be more um, bouts of volatility later this year as everybody is adjusting to the uh, to the to the rising rates and um, uh, you know inflation concerns and things like that um, and so um yeah, a consistent theme that I've that I've heard from bankers recently, and they'll be telling their clients this as well, um, is you know to to perhaps seize the moment a bit when when there are um, opportunities to issue bonds that are that are relatively clear. And it seemed that the financial institutions were definitely doing that, weren't they? Um, this week, um, the the issuance was very high. I think we had um, something like thirty four billion dollars worth. From from European financial institutions, um, in the in in just that two day period, Ralph, do you think we can take away from this week's activity that the financial institution bond market is is strong and healthy or or nervous? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think we can for now, certainly. Um, you know, you just have to look at the volumes done, the variety of issuance that banks were able to do across different markets, and you can't help but see that as a sign of strength. But, of course, the question is why they're doing it. Now, um, our colleague Bill Thornhill wrote an opinion piece to accompany this, uh, saying that basically that the tough have already got going before the going got tough. Um and so there is a sort of underlying sense of a weaker market, you know, lurking in the background or shortly to come. I think you saw this in the uh, agency bond market too. You know, the signs are that the market is flush with, 
investor liquidity, um, bond buyers who would normally only buy sovereign bonds are now buying into what are generally perceived to be less liquid agency bonds because they now see the liquidity is as uh, good enough. Um, and that, that allowed uh, one of the major issuers in that market, the German agency KFW, to amass its biggest ever order book of uh, something like 33 and a half billion euros. Um, and the most, and that was also the most investors it had ever seen in one of its deals, over 300. Um, and again, you know, you would say that that looks like a really strong market. But of course, underlying that, as we've as we've already alluded to, is the removal of the pandemic emergency purchase program um, and, and rising rates. And that will push up premiums and spreads in that market, too. So, yeah, it's a real a real sort of balancing point where things are strong, as they invariably are in January, uh, which is one of the two busiest months of the year for issuance, the other usually being September. Um, but definitely a sense that there are worries ahead about where spreads are headed, where rates are headed, the cost of borrowing and uh, and, and volatility as uh, as central banks try and fight rising inflation. It's going to be an extremely interesting year if you're a bond investor, I think. You've, you're facing probably rising interest rates, which, which inevitably will lead to the, the value of your portfolio selling off and, and, and your reported return numbers. Uh, you, you're facing an uphill challenge there. But at the same time, the opportunities are great. It looks like uh, the the new bonds coming are going to be at high yields. They're going to be potentially at higher spreads. If the ECB really does diminish its buying as much as it, it seems now, um, that that's that's a big buyer stepping away from the market, and that that's got to favour uh, private sector bond investors. Um, and I think also an interesting year for the banks that arrange these bond deals and uh, link issuers with investors something we've heard quite a lot about um, over the last couple of years has been that these banks don't really face underwriting risk. They underwrite these bonds, um, but with the amount of central bank support there has been, there hasn't really been any underwriting risk. And, you know, yields have been flat as a pancake, hasn't really moved. Um, and there's been a central bank buyer for an awful lot of the issuance that has come. That's now... Uh, being removed from the market and that will invariably increase the risk uh, that these banks face in bringing these bonds to the market. So a very interesting time ahead. Well, it looks to be an incredibly interesting year in the capital markets and you can keep up to date with all of it, including the stories we raised on this podcast at globalcapital.com. It only remains for me to thank John and Richard for joining me for the recording and to thank Gerald Hayes, our producer, for putting it together. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. There's a free episode out every Friday. And do get in touch. Email us at podcast at globalcapital.com. We'll be back with more stories in the capital markets next week. So thank you for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.